Welcome back to Second and Short. It is January 25th, 2023. We just got done with the NFL Divisional Rounds. And today we're going to be talking, of course, NFL Divisional Rounds. Talk a little bit about you know the playoffs from here. A little bit of NFL news. Uh, SEC college football season grades. And then some MLB news. And then round it out, as always, with Stake Your Claim. We've got a little bit of an interesting episode today. We're going to be moving a little bit quick. Uh, Brock and I are both in a time crunch, so we are going to try and kind of speed through this, but give you all the same content as usual. We'll start it off. Chiefs, Jags. Chiefs beat the Jaguars 27-20, and it seemed like a more dominant victory for the Chiefs than what the final score really looked like. I think it's because the Chiefs answered every single time that the Jags scored, but there was not a single Jags scoring drive that was not answered by the Chiefs scoring right after until that Jags field goal um, at the end of the game. But Patrick Mahomes goes out, I believe it was late in the first quarter. Chad Henney comes in, leads a 98-yard touchdown drive, and then Mahomes left the game, or sorry, and then Mahomes comes back after the second, or after halftime, and just kind of locked it up from there. But what I really got out of this game, and I don't know about you, Brock, but I think that Travis Kelsey at this point is a top three tight end of all time. Oh, easily. I mean, he is just insanely good. Yeah, and like you could argue for Gronk, and I guess the other one that I put in there would be Tony Gonzalez just because of the long career he had. I think that that gives him an edge over Gronk, but then Gronk has you know the championships and – the touchdowns and everything like that. But Travis Kelsey is definitely on those two's heels, and arguably you could say that he's better than them. But, yeah, I just I think that the Jags just had no answers for anything that the Chiefs threw at them. Yeah, that definitely that Jag, Jags defense is not uh, – it's not championship caliber defense. And, I mean, they, they're still a pretty young team, so you got to give them a little more time to – build up especially on their defense. I mean, offensively, they look pretty good. Um, I mean, they, they look pretty good most of the game. I believe uh, T-Law had a few bad passes and a few uh, interceptions, if I'm not wrong, uh, which kind of cost them. But, I mean, overall, I think they had they looked really good for this season. They did really well. They just got a lot to work on. The Chiefs just being very experienced and – I mean, just, you know, being the Chiefs, being a team that's been the team to beat the last five, six seasons. Yeah. They just prevailed over the young team. Yeah, and I think we all kind of knew that the Jags were going to lose this game. You know, the, they only turned the ball over twice. Trevor Lawrence threw one interception, and then Jamal Agnew had a fumble lost. But I, I it seemed like the Chiefs were just too much for this Jags lineup. I, I think that, like you said, they're a super young team. They've got a lot of time to work on this stuff. But at the same time, you know, this year was great for them. They, they really turned it around in a fantastic way, won the division, won the first round of the playoffs against the Chargers, and they just, you know, they hit a brick wall in the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, and I think I think that's a common theme for a bunch of these younger teams. With that being said, I don't think I think uh, especially with Pat Mahomes being injured, that that's going to make them uh, more beatable against this very good Bengals team they'll be facing. Yeah, 
All right, well, let's talk Eagles-Giants. This one happened Saturday night. The Eagles took it 38-7, and this was just simply domination. There was not a single time that the Giants matched up equally with the Eagles, and, yeah, it was brutal. Daniel Jones had no options in, in the throwing game, and then they just locked him up in the run game. He had nowhere to go, and so we saw him throwing the ball away a little bit more, whereas in other games he'd typically try and make something out of nothing. But yeah, he was absolutely locked up. Saquon couldn't get anything going, and yeah, it was tough. I mean, the biggest issue with the Giants, in my opinion, is they have they don't have a wide receiver one. Really, when you look at them, they didn't have anybody making those big time plays. They didn't have anybody that matched up well against anybody in that Eagles defense. And yeah. that's really, really when it's the issues. When every time in the past, these receivers, you know, they're good, but they're not great. They're not big time receivers. So they just could not, for the life of them, get any get any separation at all, and no help to Danny Dimes either from that offensive line. Yeah, like Richie James had a good game, seven receptions, fifty-one yards, but that was really it. Everybody else, other than Saquon, only got one reception. Like Darius Slayton and Isaiah Hodgins, who kind of led the way last week, they each got one reception. Slayton for four yards, and Isaiah Hodgins for three yards. Like. It's tough when you're playing a team that just is simply better than a lot of the teams that you've played throughout the season. And the Eagles just kind of beat up on them every chance they had this whole season. And this was 100% the same way. But, yeah, Saquon couldn't get it going. Daniel Jones couldn't get it going. And I think those struggles came because of the Eagles' defensive line. They were stellar the whole game. Brandon Graham had a sack. Josh Sweat had a sack and a half. Jordan Davis was slowing down the inside run. And, and of course, Fletcher Cox was just doing Fletcher Cox things, not letting anything happen anywhere close to him. But, look, the Giants looked really bad in this game. But it's because the Eagles looked like absolute world beaters in this game. And I think it was fueled by not just the division rivalry, but this was the Eagles' debut in the playoffs for this season. Whereas, you know, other teams... They have already played their game. They get the first round by. Everybody's back healthy, and it just fueled them even more to play really well. But, yeah, I I think if they play this way next week, that 49ers game is going to be one hell of a game to watch. Yeah, I think this year, like, uh, I I feel as if this year it was really just set up like, okay, we know exactly who's going to be in the championship games already, you know? Like – it was yeah. one of five teams in both divisions. Or, yeah. sorry, uh, four of the five teams in both divisions. So we all kind of knew who it could have possibly been. And, and I, you know, I think it just proved that, I mean, exactly who I kind of was looking at all season made it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to, what, to your point on the Eagles is the Eagles, especially front seven, it's the front seven is where you win football games, that defensive line. You got to win the game in the trenches, and the Eagles most definitely won the game in the trenches. Yeah, they they looked amazing, and it's going to be the key for them for the rest of this playoff run is you know keeping that defensive line intact. The offensive line blocked phenomenally. Kenneth Gainwell had 112 rushing yards. Miles Sanders had 90 rushing yards. Like if that offensive line can keep opening up gaps, which obviously is going to be a little more difficult against the 49ers next week. But if they can keep doing it, they're not going to lose to anybody. Yeah. 
I mean, all they got to do is give Jalen Hurts uh, – I mean, for running especially, they can get even three, two, two and a half yards of carry. I think they're going to be able to win this game against the Niners because I think you just got to let Jalen Hurts do Jalen Hurts, you know? Yeah, and with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith in your receiving game, you have quite a nice pillow to fall back on when, you know, maybe they're not as open against a, a dominant defense in the secondary. You have the running game. You have just Jalen Hurts being able to make things out of nothing that you can fall back on if A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith aren't getting the best looks. Yeah, I am very excited for this game. I mean, it's going to be a very, very – I mean, both games uh, will be amazing games. Yeah. Well, let's talk Sunday. Bengals, Bills, in the snow, at Highmark Stadium. And, look, the Bills just look bad. Bengals take it 27-10. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's an obvious thing to talk about, and it's just how bad – the Bills offensive line was and I kind of want to get your opinion because we were talking about it during the game what do you think went wrong with this offense for the Bills well I texted you during the game and I said for the first time the snow is what the weather is what is affecting the Bills you know their whole things they can play in the snow and that's what they like playing but since they are such a pass heavy team and they just kind of rely on Josh Allen slinging the ball when you're in conditions like that, it is very hard to catch a football. And that is really what affected them. And on top of that, they could not block a dang fifth-grade defensive line out there. They were letting people through. Josh Allen was constantly under pressure, especially, I mean, the the Bengals' de- uh, defense did an amazing job disguising blitzes, especially with Mike Hilton. He is probably the best slot uh, in the league. Or, sorry, uh, nickelback in the league. Yeah, but, he was um, fantastic in this game. Eight total tackles, one tackle for loss, one pass deflection, two QB hits, and he was just covering a ton of ground. And like there was that one drive where it seemed like he did everything. He was pressuring the quarterback and then like coming from the middle of the field after dropping back in coverage and getting a tackle for loss on a dump throw to the running to the running back. Like he was everywhere on that drive and that was definitely a huge factor in this win. Yeah, he's definitely a very big piece in that defense. But, I mean, like I just said for the Eagles, is the Bills – or sorry, not the Bills. The Bengals on both sides of the ball, offense and defense, were – to quote Tony Romo, were in, were in forcing their will on uh, the Bills team. Uh, the, uh, the Bills of the line couldn't block to save their lives. And then the, whether it be running or passing, and then – their defensive line was getting pushed back about five yards every time uh, the Bengals wanted to run the ball. Yeah, it was it was brutal. And, like, the line couldn't block, and Josh Allen had no time to throw, and Ken Dorsey is still calling deep passes. Like, what is the point? You're putting all your receivers upfield, and he has no time to throw, so he's just going to keep throwing into bad spots over and over and over again, and it just killed them. Because, look, you do that, and, yeah, you can make these big plays, but the second you make that big play, you can't keep moving down the field. You, you have to slow down, get everybody up there, regroup, figure something out, and the problem was they couldn't make the big plays, but when they did, they couldn't run quickly. When you make... 
when you have consistent offense, you can catch the defense, you know, kind of on their back foot. But when your offense comes, you know, every couple plays and everything else just is useless, then the defense has all the time in the world to figure out what's coming next. I mean, they did not adjust their um, their uh, scheme on offense at all. Like you said, you pointed out a great – exactly what they were doing is they were just basically looking at that big play the entire game, and it wasn't there because of the weather. And not only the weather, but the, uh, the Bengals had great coverage most of the game. Yeah. What it- they did done with the pressure – with how much pressure the Bengals are bringing, you would – any. Most any offensive coordinator in the mind, like, all right, we're going to start running some some screens and quick, you know, quick, you know, just get the ball out quick or run it uh, out, like, get with them sending all that pressure most every play. There are so many plays, you other plays you're going to run that will make that their weakness, but they didn't adjust at all. Yeah. Like, if you could just string together a couple plays of significant yardage, like, you know, five yard play here, three yard run, four yard pass, like, just that kind of stuff over and over again, you get momentum and you keep moving down the field and you you make the Bengals' defense have to really work for it. But instead, every other play, <laughs> it looked like every other pass was an incompletion and you just can't make anything out of that. And I think we've talked about it before. is, And it's something you can't do and that's why a lot of teams tend to fail is you can't get caught up in the game. And what I mean by that is when you get down, you can't just want to make a big pass, make a big play the whole every single down. You have to do what's working for you. And I feel I've seen that a lot this season, both college and professionally. Uh, is people are getting down in the getting down in the game, and they think they need that big play. No, what you need is a nice, consistent drive to get points. You don't need that big touchdown or big whatever it is. You got to just be consistent and get down the field. You got to show that. You got to show your offense and your defense both that there's still hope in this game. We can do what we want and we're going to stay in this game. Yeah. Well, and like Josh Allen, when you look at it, of course, you know, a 6.3 yards per attempt doesn't look good. But on his completions, it was obvious they were throwing the ball down the field because they were getting like 10 and a half yards per attempt or per completion. So, you know, even bring that down a little bit. Run some slants, run some screens, like you said, and just help yourself out a little bit because that's exactly what the Bengals did so well. On the offensive side, they couldn't pressure Burrow, so the Bills couldn't pressure Burrow against an offensive line that was missing three starters, I'm pretty sure. They couldn't stop the Bengals' run. They couldn't force a turnover, and the Bengals weren't forcing the ball downfield. Like Their longest reception was 28 yards. Yeah, and like I was saying, you got to adjust to the game and to the conditions, and they were very – and the Bengals were able to do see what they needed to do while the Bills, again, in another game, they were uh, not setting themselves up to adjust at all. They just kept going with what was not working. Yeah, and like the Bengals, you know, they looked great. And I think the big thing is that this week they had the run game that they've been missing for weeks. Joe Mixon had 20 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. He hasn't done that in probably over a month or two. And it's exactly what they needed to win this game. 
They got it together. They figured it out. And look, even when the pass wasn't really working all that well, they had the running game to fall back on, which is what the Bills didn't have. The Bills, everybody kept saying throughout the season, oh, the Bills have a rushing game. Don't you see their yards per game, blah, blah, blah. Well, their rushing game comes from Josh Allen. It's not from their running backs a majority of the time. James Cook had five carries, 13 yards. Devin Singletary had six carries, 24 yards. And then Josh Allen's eight carries, 26 yards. That's 63 yards on 19 attempts. Joe Mixon had one more attempt himself and had 105 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. crazy. Yeah. They really need to step up that offensive line because we say it all the time. Running the football is what creates success for a football team. That is every that should be every football team's bread and butter. The most successful teams can run the ball successfully. And when you can't run the ball, you're not going to win a football game. Yeah. And uh, before we get away from this one, as a uh, a citizen or resident of the metro Atlanta area, I thank the Bengals for not adding to the traffic that we already have to deal with this weekend. Uh, everybody go get your refunds, as Joe Burrow said. Yes, thank God for the Atlanta area, because I, I cannot imagine having all the out-of-towners making yeah. the traffic worse. All right. Well, let's talk about the last game, Sunday night, 49ers-Cowboys, and 49ers take it, 19-12. And, uh, look, I'm going to sound like Stephen A. Smith here, but Dak Prescott sucks, the Cowboys suck, and it's time for some changes. Yeah, definitely it is. Um, that Dak Prescott just threw that game. Um, I can't, I can't be too upset about some of the about. I know for one of the interceptions, it was tipped off of the receiver, but at the same time, he was the receiver's in double coverage and he tried to force that in there. There was no need to try and force the ball in there. He, it's almost like I was saying with the Bills, he gets too. The the Cowboys are just too in their head trying to make that big play that they could not be successful. Yeah. Well, and the first interception was so, like, was such a bad play. Like, it was so obvious because Dak didn't even decide to throw that ball until the receiver and the DB both stopped on the curl route. And then Dak throws it, and of course it gets picked off because they're both standing there. One of them's gonna have to jump up in front of the other. Yeah, it sorry, was, it was so bad. But yeah, like for the 49ers, like they're just they were too much for the Cowboys, especially the defense. Fred Warner was just having his way. He was good oh. in coverage. He pressured the quarterback. He had a tackle for loss. Like he was all over the field, and. I think, you know, at this point, what I think the Cowboys are missing outside of a better quarterback, because I just love to slander Dak Prescott, they need a wide receiver too. They need somebody other than C.D. Lamb that they trust throwing the ball to. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously they have Dalton Schultz. Outside of that, like Michael Gallup got three targets. He didn't catch a single one. And the other two guys that got... um, over one or two targets were Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Which I hope Tony Pollard gets uh, well soon because he is such a great football player. Yeah, but, that injury sucks. Yeah. 
their entire offense is based off their running back duo, mostly Tony Tony Pollard. And, you know, once Tony Pollard got hurt, there's really nothing left for him on that offense because Dak is a good quarterback, but he's not a great quarterback. Yeah, exactly. He's not a, he I don't think he's a game changer. He doesn't push the needle. Like I don't think there's a a way that you can rely on Dak Prescott to win you a football game right now. I have to agree. He he's never really done anything too crazy for me. He's always just been good. Never great, never amazing. He's always been good. Yeah. Well, and it doesn't help that he hasn't had two games in a row without an uh without a turnover since 2019. Yeah, that's just embarrassing. Yeah. But, like, what I'm saying with this wide receiver two edition is that, look, C.D. Lamb is a great one. 100%. He's a great number one wide receiver. But somebody's got to take the pressure off of him. Like, hmm. he's always in double coverage. And if he's not, he's getting locked up by an elite corner. Give, Give him another option. Give people to take the pressure off of him. Because... If he's just going to keep getting locked up, you're going to have games where you can't target him 13 times, and he's not going to get 10 receptions, and then you're going to be totally left for dead. Yeah, I talk about this. uh, This is my favorite uh, team I like to use uh, when it comes to the receivers. The uh, Falcons back uh, when they were good, uh, when it was uh, Julio Jones, and every, they were, always had two men on Julio Jones, which then they had a great wide receiver, too. So like, uh, for a while, it was Muhammad Sanu. And then it became Calvin Ridley. Like, they, since they had to worry about Julio Jones so much, it left these two guys open the whole, you know, all the time. <laughs> so they got, uh, they were great wide receiver, twos, And uh, that's, I mean, a great example of it. And obviously, uh, the, uh, Dallas does not have that. Yeah, and I I just want to bring this one up before we're kind of done with this. That catch by Kittle was so sick, where like he just barely stopped it with his hand, like reaching all the way out, kind of pulls it back in, hits it off his helmet, catches it, sticks it to the left so that the defender can't knock it out. Like that is some elite tight end stuff out of George Kittle, and it definitely helped his five receptions 95 yards he had a phenomenal game yeah i mean he's really good and i mean to speak on that 49ers offense is what i said before brock purdy does not have to be perfect he just has to be have to have a good game and they will win a football game yeah look brock purdy limits the turnovers and that's the biggest key for this 49ers team he was 19 for 29 214 no touchdowns that's nothing grand but zero interceptions he only got sacked twice like he's helping himself out by not having like the ball in his hands yep i mean uh i've said it before this niners team is set up to where you are not required to have you know a hall of fame quarterback at the helm all you need is a quarterback who can play good and not throw interceptions yeah and that's exactly what they have with brock purdy anything else you want to talk about with any of the games that happened this weekend I mean, not not really, but I mean, I just want to say that those linebackers uh, for the 49ers are insane. Yeah, it's insane how they went from – oh, what, what was that duo they had? I know they had Navarro Bowman. And, and so, Patrick Willis. Yeah, and Patrick Willis. And then how they have Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. Like, the linebacker group – whoever the linebackers coach is, 
in San Fran is a lucky man. I mean, back to back future Hall of Famers, like yeah, it, it it's ridiculous. And just to add, you have Nick Bosa and you have Chavarius Ward and Jimmy Ward and Talano Hufanga, who's been amazing this season, and Eric Armstead, who's just been a solid defensive tackle his whole career. There's no telling, you know, the limit with this 49ers defense, but I will say they've got to get it done soon because a lot of these guys are going to have to get paid and a lot of them are in the early stages of their career. So it's going to take some effort for the 49ers to keep this defense this good. And I got a feeling they'll probably lose a couple of them in the next couple of years. Yeah, I feel like they'll lose a couple of them, but obviously they know how to recruit a defense. So I think they'll be able to uh, keep getting those younger stars in. Yeah, I, I I agree. But let's talk just a little bit to update everybody. I know we just ran through the final scores, but the AFC Championship and NFC Championship are set. AFC, Bengals, Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. And then for the NFC, 49ers, Eagles at Lincoln Financial. And these two matchups are going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. These are going to be two amazing games. And I really think, to speak, touch on the uh, the Eagles game, the Eagles-Niners, is I think the biggest thing here is home field advantage, and I think that's what's going to uh, put it in uh, Philadelphia's favor. I don't know, man. I'm riding with my prediction from, like, our second episode, which was Bengals-49ers in the Super Bowl. I mean, that's a good one. But, dude, I, I, I'm going to run with the Bengals for the AFC, of course. But, dude, I don't know. After the Eagles looked uh, this last week and where everybody's healthy and they're playing at their best, it's definitely going to – because all you got to do is get back there and start get, disrupting the rookie quarterback, and then we're going to see how good he really is. Yeah, that's definitely going to be the biggest thing. Um, you got to think that Nick Bosa is probably not going to line up with Trent Williams just so it makes it easier on him. But, yeah, we'll see what the 49ers can pull out because we know Shanahan is – uh, fantastic with his offenses and you know he could pull anything out of his ass yeah i'm 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 very very excited to watch these games this weekend yeah well let's run through a little bit of news so patrick mahomes suffered a high ankle sprain in the wind versus the jags um they were talking about a little bit how when you get one of those injuries the day of it's like okay yeah i can play on this and that's exactly what Mahomes did. Went out, sat out like a quarter, got x-rayed, wasn't broken, goes back out on the field, plays the second half, and played all right. But that's something that the day after, when you wake up, it is going to be real hard to walk. And I have a feeling that's what Patrick Mahomes is going through right now. Yeah. I think that's going to be – That's uh, uh, I think the biggest question mark for this upcoming game is how is Patrick Mahomes – because if he's not 100%, and I mean, all it, I feel like all it's going to take is one good hit and uh, one good hit, you know, falling on it funny, whatever it is, and he, it's going to hurt even more and it's going to really affect him. So I think that's, gonna, that's the biggest question mark for the Chiefs offense. This, uh, or honestly, not even for the Chiefs, just for the whole game and to see the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I think that will 100% be a game changer because obviously we know Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league and you know the way that Chiefs offense operates 
is because of Patrick Mahomes. Uh, let's talk yeah. about uh, one other injury that happened. Uh, Tony Pollard, you brought it up. He broke his leg in the loss against the 49ers. And that one, it's just like, okay, we lost, and then you're just going to throw this on top of him. Like, that's rough because Tony Pollard has been fantastic this season. And I just, yeah, it, it sucks. Hopefully he's good and he can come back to start next season. I got a feeling he'll probably be all right. But, you know, a broken leg is a tough one. Oh yeah, that's a very hard one to to uh, come back from. I just really hope the best for him. Yeah, and, and then you know one thing I do want to talk about the NFL coaching carousel is uh, in full effect right now. There is so many guys getting looks. They were talking about D'Amico Ryan's interviews. Like, I think he he had to like cancel on two of the interviews because they were like too busy prepping for the game. He had interviews throughout the week and. You know, Sean Payton, that's all fl- like floating around, and there's so much going on. Um, I, I don't, we don't have enough time to go through everybody and talk about destinations, but we will soon. And yeah, I think that coaching carousel is going to be real interesting because there's a lot of openings and a lot of guys that, you know, deserve jobs. Yeah. What one position I already know that's been filled that I'd like to bring up is, um, uh, old Bill O'Brien going back to the New England Patriots. Yeah, that one's interesting, and I keep seeing these idiots on Twitter saying, like, oh, well, Bill O'Brien coached Mac Jones at Alabama. He didn't. He, he was not a part of the staff when Mac Jones was there. He was not. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, that people are just dumb. But I think that's a better move for him. Uh, he just is not a college guy. Only been in college a handful of years. He's definitely an NFL man, guy. Going back to the Patriots where he had, you know, a lot of success. So let's see how that goes for him. Yeah, this is kind of his last chance. Yeah, I kind of have to agree. Like, I think this kind of is his last chance. He did not do well at Alabama. Um, so we'll definitely have to see how he looks with the Pats. I think – I do think him going to the Pats is an upgrade over uh, Patricia or whatever. Oh, yeah, 100%. Matt Patricia sucks. And there's a good chance that – Patricia's gone because like I'm not sure if they fired him I might have missed that but um the Lions were paying Matt Patricia's contract and that ends after this like the season that just happened so there's a good chance that they just let him go yeah uh, Bill Belichick and uh Robert Kraft are smart men so I'm sure there there's a reason they had him there <laughs> yeah and then one more thing that's just kind of happened throughout yesterday and today um, Stefan Diggs just absolutely lost his mind after this loss. Um, um, it was reported that like they got to the locker room, he changed and left immediately before like everybody had even gotten back there and then gets like dragged back in coaches talk to the team and then immediately storms out again. And like people were losing their mind at him. And then he just goes on Twitter and just tries to, I don't know, defend himself, but it, he made himself just look worse by doing this. Like, it, let's, so it starts with, uh, want me to be okay with losing? Nah. All right. <laughs> then, want me to be okay with our level of play when it's not up to the standard? Nah. All right. And then, it's easy to criticize my reaction more than the result. And look, I get it. Stefan Diggs should not be happy with this performance because. 
he knows exactly. I'm pretty sure he saw exactly what we all saw, which is that they shouldn't have been forcing the ball downfield. And I'm sure he's mad at Ken Dorsey. And he's probably mad at Josh Allen, probably more at Ken Dorsey because, you know, he's the guy telling Stephon Diggs where to run. But Stephon, he acknowledges that he is an amazing receiver. He doesn't, he's not just a deep threat. He can do it all over the field and they just weren't giving him that option. And he's getting screwed over because of it. Yeah, and I don't want to say too much on him being of the bad part of him because I, I do understand the reaction. But at the same time, you have to remember you're a teammate, especially him. He's a leader on that team. And that reaction I don't think is good for his team. Yeah. And then like I understand oh, sorry, but uh I was just gonna say I understand the frustration, but when you are a leader, when you are arguably a top wide receiver in the league and everyone basically looks up to you. You cannot that that's not a good reaction. And that's not good for your team. That's not good for anybody. It's just gonna create controversy amongst the teammates. Yeah, it, it was just bad. And um people were saying so much about this performance, but look, Stefan Diggs is right. He should like nobody should be scrutinizing or criticizing him for not being okay with how they played. They played like shit. But at the same time, don't do it in such uh, a, a public way. Yeah, of course people are going to find out about the locker room stuff. But don't go on Twitter and, and start trying to defend yourself. Look, you know what you did was obviously you know an act of, of heavy emotion, but it just makes you look like a bad teammate, which is coming off of so much proof that he's not. He, you know, has looked like a leader on this team all year. And, like, throughout the whole DeMar Hamlin stuff, like, we saw Stefan Diggs talking to his entire team and, like, really rallying them. And it's what brought them to this point. And now it seems like, you know, just kind of uh, purely out of rage, he's trying to, like, mess it all up. Yeah. And, again, I understand the frustration, but you just, I mean – also, you're an, you're you're an adult male, like you're an adult man, like you're not you you know you don't have the excuse of oh I'm a, uh, he's a college student you know I don't, you're a twenty something year old man, like you should know how to hang handle your emotions, especially again when you are the leader of the team. Yeah, but let's move on from this and just to let everybody know, we're not going to talk about this whole Demar Hamlin conspiracy theory bullshit. I think it's ridiculously disrespectful. So we're not even going to get into it. But um, just wanted to put that out there. Let's talk SEC football, our season grades for every team. So we'll start in the West. Alabama, what grade you give them, Brock? I think I'd give them a, probably about a B-plus across the board. Um, and a lot of people are going to say that's generous, whatever. But their offense had spot had moments of looking great and being a national championship type offense. Then it had moments of it would go five drives in a row of just three and outs, you know. Um, and I think that comes from the play caller, and I hope that and I think that will be fixed uh, this upcoming season. But uh, yeah, uh, especially offensively, I'll give them B plus. Actually, I'll give it, and then defensively, I think I can give them a B minus. 
they made the stops most of the time, despite the two games they lost. They made the stops and they needed them. But their defense as a whole just looked very uh, – they weren't disciplined. They had all. They had a lot of uh, pass interference calls, offsides, a lot of discipline issues uh, on their defensive uh, side, and that really affected them. Yeah, and then like, so what I, I gave them a B minus overall, uh, and, and it's mainly just because going into this season, the expectation, which going into every season, the expectation is that Alabama is going to win the national championship. But this season, everybody was like, oh, they have the best team ever. They have Will Anderson. They have Bryce Young, the Heisman winner, and, and all these other guys. And they had gotten Jermaine Burton in the transfer portal. And, like, of course, Will Anderson and Bryce Young played well. But it seemed like the additions they made didn't really make a big difference. And then on top of it, the discipline issues that we talked about all season just crippled them. And, like, the close game to Texas was brutal. The loss to Tennessee was hard. A a very close loss to LSU. But I I feel like some people would say, you know, oh, well, Alabama didn't even make the SEC championship game. How could they have gotten a B-minus? Like, this is a huge disappointment. Like, they failed this season. But... The wins they did get, you can't take those away from them. Like, winning that game, that bowl game against Kansas State, 45-20, very impressive. The win over Ole Miss, though Ole Miss kind of threw it away, that was an impressive win. They really locked down Mississippi State. Like, some some high-ranked teams, they played them very well. And uh, that's why I gave them a B-. Yeah, I mean, not to get too far on this, but it, yeah, what you're saying, it's they they were probably three plays away from making the national championship, making the SEC championship, or whatever. They don't lose. They act, you know, they fully blocked that kick against Tennessee. I think Alabama might be able to take it in overtime, you know, or if they don't get a couple of these just really bad, uh, penalties on them especially on the defensive side and both the LSU and Tennessee game that's that's a win for Alabama but the their issue this year is there was very little discipline yeah it, it was tough to watch but let's move on to Arkansas I think Arkansas had a, a C plus year I think that you know I, I feel like C is an average year for a program I, I think that C plus is fair because look they were like pretty good last year and exceeded everybody's expectations and I think a lot of people probably wrongfully expected that to happen again this year and look they just fell short in a few games but their losses weren't bad losses other than you know Mississippi State who absolutely ran through them but the loss to A&M 23-21 the loss to Alabama of course that was going to happen Mississippi State loss, not going to talk about that one. But then it was kind of the second half of the season where they really fell apart. Uh, The loss to Liberty and then to round out the season, the loss to Missouri, that's tough. But I still think that they were a good team. They had a great run game. The the quarterback, or uh, KJ Jefferson looked great throughout the season. Obviously had a couple moments where he wasn't all that good. But uh, I think that regardless of that, they had a above average but not good season 
Yeah, I think they just had a very much Arkansas season. And what I mean by that is very similar to what you said, is they have good seasons every now and then where they go nine and three, you know, eight and four, whatever it may be. But they ended what, six and six, right? Uh, Seven and six with the bull win. So seven and six. I mean, that is what most people tend to think of when they think of Arkansas. And I understand, you know, there's a lot more expectations on them, especially from that season they had last year. And they did return a fair amount of their players from last year. And, you know, you expected a lot more from them. But for it to be Arkansas where they can't get the recruits like Alabama, Georgia, A&M, or Texas A&M, you know, they had a pretty good season. So I'm also – I think I'm going to give them a C plus. All right. Let's talk Auburn now. I think this was the first really bad team. Uh, in this list, I gave Auburn a D minus. Yeah, that's a fair ranking. I I'm gonna give him a D because they fired their head coach halfway through the season. Um, you know, the interim head coach came in. They had players. They had good. They had a, a pretty decent team. There, there, there was the biggest issue with them was not the team itself. It was the personal issues that the Auburn uh uh oh crap what are they called the people that fund the team the boosters Boosters. yeah it's that it's the issue they created with the head coach that made their season even worse than what it really was yeah I think that you know the glaring problem here with Auburn and like yeah everybody knew that Brian Harson was a bad coach even coming into the season nobody thought he was going to last like the first five weeks and and then like the the quarterback change after week three that definitely didn't go their way like they started off two and one the tough loss to Penn State like really bad and then like I'd probably say their most impressive win this season was probably against Texas A and M thirteen to ten like everything yeah. else was pretty bad like they it took overtime in like a very late overtime field goal to beat Missouri. Obviously they beat Mercer and San Jose state, Western Kentucky, but that, that that's really it. They didn't do anything great. And they went on that what five week stretch of losses with LSU, Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Mississippi state. And they kept it close with Mississippi state took them to overtime, but yeah, it was bad. Yeah, and I just goes back to the boosters screwed the team from the start this season. They were going to do whatever they could to make sure Parsons was going to get fired and not make it through the season. Yeah. They never wanted him, and it was a whole mess ever since he came in. And it just – now that he's gone, Auburn will probably have much better seasons uh, coming up. But – they just screwed themselves with the whole Harson situation. Yeah. I think the only thing that made me not give them an F is that they fired their coach, which kind of forced them to make changes. Cause like you said, the boosters didn't want him there in the first place. Like it, it as soon as it started going bad last season, it was just over with them, but they couldn't fire him yet. Like they wanted to give him time. And, and then, yeah, by this season they wanted him gone. And, 
they got him gone. They replaced him with a, a coach that, you know, people can have their opinions on. But I honestly think that their biggest positive of this year was firing Brian Harson. I find it so funny that they fired uh, Gus Malzahn to three years later hire Gus Malzahn again. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just moving lateral. Like, yeah, it's. It, I don't know what's going on in Auburn right now, but it sure isn't winning football games. Uh, <laughs> let's. Oh, what was your grade for Auburn? I don't know if I might have missed that. I think I gave him a D. Okay. Let's talk LSU. I actually, I want to know what grade you would give LSU off the jump. Ooh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little. They had a. I want to give him an A, but at the same time, I want to give him just a B plus. And I think I'm going to have to stick with the B plus. Only they had a great season. Don't make get me wrong; they made the SEC championship, but that loss to Texas A and M was horrible. Yeah, and the loss to Tennessee. Oh, and of course, yeah, the loss to Tennessee as well. But Tennessee was at least a good team. But actually, that's a good point because they got blown out in Death Valley. Yeah, so those two losses is exactly what's preventing me from giving them an A because Tennessee won by, what, like 40 points? Uh, Yeah, it was 40-13, so 27 yeah. points. Tennessee beat the ever-living crap out of them, and then A&M basically had their way with them. So yeah. I think overall, first year with uh, Brian Kelly, really good. Uh uh, of course, you know, made the SEC championship. Got a lot of guys coming in the portal, staying. Um, I mean, they blew out uh, Purdue, wasn't it, in the bowl game? Yep. So, I mean, they have a lot of pluses here, but, man, they just – I mean, of course, it's a, it's the first year with the new head coach, so it's going to be a little different. But, yeah, I think it's going to be B-plus overall. Defensively, they look good. Offensively, they look good. I don't think that quarterback they have is the full answer. He's a good quarterback, but I don't think he's the guy Brian Kelly really wants there. Um, but you know, we'll we'll see. Yeah, I, I gave LSU an A minus only because I didn't have very high expectations for this team coming into the season. I, I didn't think that Jaden Daniels was all that good of a pickup, which you know he kind of proved me wrong. And you know, seeing them lose to Florida State in Week One. You know, obviously made me happy, but it made me not think that LSU was really that good. And then, you know, they went on a like they they won a couple of good games. They beat Mississippi State. That was a solid win. Uh, the win over Florida, Ole Miss, obviously the Alabama win, and um, and then that bowl game to kind of you know clean up what had just happened the last two weeks. Um, yeah, I think that they exceeded expectations. And, like, they made the SEC championship. That's, like, the hardest thing to do. And they did it. And that's kind of why I gave them an A-. minus Because they were successful compared to what people thought was going to happen. Yeah, they had, they did, they definitely exceeded my expectations for this season. Um, But I will have to say, just, I think I'm still going to stay at the B+, because they could have done much better, I think. Yeah. For sure. Let's talk Ole Miss. 
don't want to spend too much time here because I know you have plenty of things you could say about Ole Miss. I'll go ahead and give my grade. I gave him a B, just a B. Yeah, I think that's a fair grade, and uh, I, I'm going to be dancing around some you know, needles <laughs> here. <laughs> but I think uh, the defense brought them down this season. They had a lot of very good players, but I think the scheme was not a good fit for this team. And the scheme is what screwed over uh, the Ole Miss defense at the end of the day and why they couldn't stop the run and why they had a lot of the issues they had. Uh, and then with that, um, offensively, there were some spots where they looked amazing. And then there are also times where they just looked terrible, where they couldn't do anything more than just three and out. And, you know, once they start driving and they look good, they could complete a drive. But, you know, their biggest issue was either going 0-3 or going three and out or having not being able to complete the drive. Yeah. And so I think a B is a fair grade. Eight and five is not bad, but it, it, it should have been a better season with all the talent that was there. Yeah. And they obviously got off to a fantastic start, seven and oh. And, you know, you beat Kentucky. It was really the only big win when you look at it, you know, from now. But, that win over Kentucky was big because somehow Kentucky was number seven, which is crazy. But um, the loss to LSU was tough, and then the win over AM was all right. The loss to Alabama, again, a, a tough, close loss. And then you know losing to Arkansas and then losing the Egg Bowl and losing the bowl game, it really just spiraled out of control there at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um... And I'm going to kind of repeat what I said. I think the biggest issue uh, they had this year uh, stemmed from defense. The defense could get some stops, but the vast majority of the time, I blame it on the scheme, and the scheme will be much better next year. Um, It just did not provide a good defense for an SEC schedule. Yeah. So I think if Ole Miss had a ran a better scheme, a 4-2, 4-2, a 3-4 with a walk-up end, something like that. That would have worked much better, especially against that, in that Alabama game um, and Mississippi State as well. But, um, I mean, but overall, I think, I mean, of course, Quinshawn Judkins, All-American, already uh, or way too early preseason All-American, uh, the best returning running back in the uh, SEC, uh, Jackson Dart, he's going to be – I think I think that's going to be a very – this is something we can talk about another day. But the, I think Jackson Dart did very good for him to be his first full year starting. Yeah, I think that there's some – obviously some things to work on, like you said. But, yes, there was promising moments that looked good for the future of this team. Uh, let's go ahead and get into Mississippi State. I give Mississippi State a B plus. I think that at nine and four, they overplayed our expectations. Uh, a pretty sizable win against A and M, um, though they lost to LSU. The loss to Kentucky was pretty tough, as well as the Alabama one. Uh, win over Auburn, the win in the Egg Bowl, of course, and then winning their bowl game against Illinois. Like they didn't have all that. Like they didn't beat a lot of teams that they weren't supposed to. But at the same time. They played pretty well. Like Will Rogers was very good throughout the year. You know, obviously through picks because you know they throw the ball a lot. But 
I think that when you look at this whole season, especially at the end, you know, what all happened, I just, I think it's surprising how well they played at the end of the season with, you know, Mike Leach's passing and everything that was happening at Mississippi State. Yeah, uh, I definitely have to say I <laughs> I want to give it an A because Mississippi State, much like I said with Arkansas, is they're not a traditional eight-plus win season every year. They're usually a – we just make it through six and six. You know, a good year is nine and three. Like a, like an amazing year is nine and three. A great year is eight and four. You know, the average year is six and six or seven and five. And I think I'm going to have to give them a, like an 89.4. Like they're <laughs> right there on the grit. Like right there on – right there about to get the A. But I just – I think I'm going to stay with the B plus like you because they had some great wins. Um, but they did not – besides the old miss game they didn't really beat anybody they were supposed to lose to they didn't you know have any big shocking wins against the really good teams like alabama and i believe they played georgia as well didn't they uh yeah they did yeah against those teams they did not really do too much um so i think uh b plus is good for them but i think i i, I don't think their future looks as bright um, but that's something, again, we can get into another day. Yeah. And then the easiest answer, uh, I feel, uh, of this entire thing is Texas A&M. Um, I think we probably both have the same grade, and it's F. Oh, yeah, like F, F, F. Like, like it is <laughs> the, easily the worst season. Uh, like, I think this is one of the worst football seasons of any team in a long time. And I'm saying, like, I've seen teams go 0-12, but the reason I think say this is worse than what it really is, they had the number one recruiting class in college football leading into this. The year before, they had a top three recruiting class. The year before that, they had a top ten recruiting class or a top five. And they went five and seven. Yeah, it it was bad, man. Like the only bright spot in this entire season was the win over LSU at the very end. And then Devin A. Chain being a great running back. Yeah, there are very few positives I can really take out if I'm a uh, Texas A&M fan, because the vast majority of the of the players from the last three classes have entered the transfer portal of the last two years, especially this uh, off season. They are leaving. They don't have a quarterback again. They just. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong for them. And I, I, we all know my opinion on him. I believe it's because of coaching. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I think that the coaching is obviously bad. They're bringing in uh, – so I'm blanking on his name right now. Who's the offensive coordinator they just brought in? Oh, he's the one Paterno, right? Well, no, not Paterno. Uh, oh, Petrino. Like Petrino, yeah. Yeah. And he's going to be calling the place. Yeah, it's definitely not Paterno. Definitely I hope not. not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, he's going to be calling the plays instead of Jimbo. And obviously that's going to help. Uh, I think Jimbo's time as a play caller is most definitely over. But is it really going to help that much when you lose everybody? I, I don't think so. But let's get into the East. We're, we're kind of running out of time. 
I'm just going to go. So Florida, I gave him a D because it, it, like the only reason I gave Florida a D and Auburn a D minus is that Florida still has a coach that I believe in. Yeah, I'll give Florida a C minus because I think they did better than what we were expecting. I a kind lot of, of expected. Expecting... I expected more. I thought that with Anthony Richardson, you know, he was highly touted going into this year and showed me nothing. See, I never really believe in Anthony Richardson because he never he's never done anything to surprise me, and the boy can barely pass the ball to save his life. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, besides that Utah game. Florida just had a pretty crappy season. Yeah. All right, let's get into Georgia. You got to give them the A+. Plus. Oh, <laughs> 15-0. A+. A plus. The only game that was close was that Peach Bowl, and I still say it's because Ohio State had four weeks to get ready for it. Yeah, that's fair. But – you know, yeah, they did have close games. People are going to bring up Missouri and Kent State, whatever. Those aren't – well, okay, Missouri was a close game. I, I can't say that. Kent State was close because it's Kent State, but they still won by 15 or 17. But, yeah, um, yeah Georgia looked insane this year, just top to bottom. Stetson was awesome. Brock Bowers was amazing. The run game was unstoppable, and, and like none of the running backs really showed out. A couple of times, like Dijon Edwards or Kenny McIntosh had a good game, but outside of that, like it, it was all over the place with you know who was going to have the good game, and the receiving core looked good. There was no stopping this Georgia team, especially from the defensive side. Yeah, no, there there was very little you could do for this Georgia team. I mean. All around, they just—they were just—they—they they woke up in the morning and pissed excellence. I mean, it's as easy as that. Yeah, and uh, let's go ahead and talk about Kentucky. I gave him a C minus. Um, I think that the only thing that kept them from being a D is that they made a bowl game. That's like the only part that keeps me from it because they lost. Just about every game they should have, except for the Florida game. They they beat Florida, who turned out to not be that good. But I, I just the Ole Miss loss, South Carolina, Tennessee, and then the, the loss to Vandy just kind of put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, I'm giving them a D plus, dude. They just they they how do you go from number seven? To barely squeaking into a bowl game. I just don't get how they got to number seven in the first place. Like, they beat uh, Miami of Ohio, and then, yeah, they beat Florida. Then they beat Youngstown State and Northern Illinois, and then they go into Oxford, and they're the number seven team in the nation. Dude, it's two words. Will Lavis. That's fair. Just because he was hi- he's hyped up to beat – now they're basically hyping up to be the best quarterback in this draft class, and – you know, just because he has all the hype behind him, they're going to give Kentucky it. You know, that's just how it works, unfortunately. Yeah. All right, let's talk Missouri. Uh, I gave Missouri a C. I don't think they really played that bad. Um, you know, obviously they weren't good. Yeah, I mean, much like I said with Arkansas and Mississippi State, this they're not a team that you every year you expect to go – you know, ten and two or eleven and one going to the championship. They're a team you expect to barely make it through, go to a bowl game. Uh, you know, 
you know, uh, like eight eight and four win for them or eight and four season for them is an excellent season. So yeah. I would have to agree. Go with the C. Uh, they had some good games. Uh, they played some good games. They kept it close to some teams, but you know, it's at the end of the day, it's Missouri. Yeah, exactly. Like they played Georgia close. They played Auburn, Florida. They both played them close, beating Vandy and beating South Carolina, who are both solid teams throughout the year, and then beating Arkansas. Um, A couple of pretty decent wins and not what we expected out of Missouri. I thought they would have had a much worse season. Yeah, I was kind of expecting them to be worse. And Actually, I'll wait for State my claim to say this. Okay, I like that. All right, let's get into South Carolina. Uh, I gave them a B minus. What about you? I'm even a B plus because they exceeded expectations, and they are very content where they are right now. And for South Carolina, again to repeat what I said about the other teams, they're not a team where you go, oh, they're making national championship, or oh, they're making the SEC championship. They're a team who they went eight and four, eight and five if you include the bowl game. That is a great season for them. That is, you know, this is the season they will remember. And uh, with Shane Beamer, you know, that's not what they're looking for. But as an average South Carolina fan, like, yeah, that's an amazing season for them because they're not used to winning. Yeah. So I, I have to go, uh, what did I say, uh, B plus? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to stick with that. They played very well. Uh, they need a better quarterback than Spencer uh, uh, Rattler. Because I just don't. He's staying. Yeah. Which is interesting. I just don't like him. I, I just don't think he's that good. Um, he's too selfish. He's always, he just screws up a lot. And it's, I think it just goes to him being selfish, but overall with wins over Tennessee and Clemson, both ranked top 10, I got to give him a B plus very close to giving him an A. If they would have beat, if they would have won the uh, bowl game, they would be an A. I think that what tainted them for me was losing to Missouri and Florida. That Florida loss was bad, dude. 38 to six. Like, that is brutal. But then, you know, they rebound with a win over number five Tennessee and then a win at number eight Clemson. And you're like, oh, what? Like, are these, are they a good team? I don't know. But yeah, I, I think that this season was because of Shane Beamer. Uh, I think he showed that he's a great coach. And I think that they'll continue to get better. Uh, I don't know if they'll play this well, you know, come next season, but a couple of recruiting classes from now. I could see them being a team that, you know, maybe has a season like Tennessee did this year. Yeah, I could never see them being an SEC championship contending team and the only or sorry, more of a national championship contending team because I genuinely do not believe they're going to be able to out-recruit Georgia in the area. Tennessee can't even out-recruit Georgia because Georgia owns Georgia, most of South Carolina, and uh, most North Tennessee, like a lot of them, they all go to the University of Georgia. So until Beamer at South Carolina and Happel at uh, at uh, Tennessee can start beating out Georgia for a few recruits, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to beat out Georgia. Yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, let's talk Tennessee now. Tennessee, I gave them an A. Um, I think they, oh, yeah. they had the second best season in the SEC. They're definitely an A. Um, the uh, I mean, I think the thing that keeps them away from being A plus for me uh, has to be the loss to South Carolina, and that's only because uh, they they just lost um, uh, their quarterback, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, I... he went out like in like the third quarter or fourth quarter, but like, yeah, it changed the game a little bit. South Carolina at that point was probably still going to win. Yeah. I think didn't they play South Carolina right after they played uh, Georgia. It was two weeks after they played Missouri in between and they put up 66 on them. Oh, well then uh, there's really no excuse. And yeah, they're, they're an A. They yeah. had a great season. Uh, they really should have beat uh, South Carolina because they are the better team. I think they simply overlooked South Carolina. Um, yeah. I, I think they were just looking ahead to play, um, to like play out the season and go to their bowl game. Yeah, and, and like fifty-six zero against Vandy to end it out was great, and then the win over Clemson in the bowl game was fantastic. Uh, I think it gives a lot of. Uh, hope for next season for them, and yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what happens in, in Tennessee because it seems like they could be around for a little while. Yeah, I think Tennessee has a much better shot of challenging Georgia than anybody else in the East does. I think Florida might be able to here in coming years, but there's a lot that. Uh, Billy Napier's got to work on down there, and he's just got to maintain his recruiting classes and keep discipline on that team. Yeah. All right, let's talk Vandy. Last one. Vanderbilt, I give him a B-. minus. Um, obviously, it's hard to say that like they could get a higher grade because they still went 5-7, and seven, but they were so good for what we're so used to with Vandy. They got multiple conference wins this year and they couldn't even get one what the last two three years yeah um i'm gonna give i'm gonna be a little more different than you i'm gonna have to go with a uh, c plus only because i think if they made a bowl game i would give i'd give a b plus but they didn't make the bowl game and they i think they could have played a little better in a lot more of their games but with that being said, I am very impressed with them this season. They did, they played a lot better than everybody in the in the country thought. Yeah, and I think uh, they they got some good years on the horizon. I think so. And by good years, we mean like making a bowl game, barely, but like good for yeah, good for Vandy. <laughs> and yeah, the losses were brutal. Uh, you know, they lost by twenty to Wake. They lost by fifty two to Bama. They lost 52-28 to Ole Miss. They lost 55 nothing to Georgia and 56-0 to Tennessee. Those are tough losses, but you beat Kentucky, you beat Florida. Those are impressive wins. Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, no matter the season, especially Florida, because they are traditionally a more talented team than uh, Vanderbilt always is. I think under Clark Lee, Clark Lee um, they have – Really nothing but uh, better years ahead, especially for Vanderbilt. Yeah. All right. We're almost out of time. We're going to hit stake your claim before we get out of here. Brock, what's your stake your claim? I literally, it just came to me. I think Missouri is the new Vanderbilt of the SEC, the new punching bag. Hmm. Okay. I, 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 I agree. I think that with the way that some of these teams have turned themselves around, Missouri could definitely fall into that spot. Because I think I, I kind of was giving a lot, Vanderbilt a lot of praise, and I really hope I'm not wrong, but 
their head coach is a very good coach, and we saw what he did in two seasons. He got him to actually beat an SEC team for the first time in like five years. Yeah, no, it was an impressive season for Vandy, and you're right. Missouri looks bad. It's probably just going to get worse because there's not much draw to going to Missouri. Just like mm-hmm. what we talked about with there wasn't much draw going to Vanderbilt, but now they have things going for them. I think NIL is a big factor in in Vanderbilt because you're in Nashville. It's a big city uh, as opposed to Missouri where, look, there's not much going on. And, you know, it. if I'm going to be in that area, there's even like group of five schools I'd rather go to and just get better playing time and a little more recognition than Missouri. Yeah, I have to agree. I just, I, like you said, there's so much that goes into it, and it does go to NIL, and it goes to, I just, it's Missouri. And I think their coach, he's a good coach, but I think he's just a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. I don't think he's amazing. He's just good. He might be able to get him to 6-6, six and six, but I think they're just going to continue to be this just okay team. Yeah. I think that they're kind of fortunate that they're in the East. Because they get to have, you know, a, a couple layup games sometimes with, like, Vandy, of course, and sometimes Kentucky's pretty bad. So it, it does help them out with the SEC, like, conference wins. You know, they'll get one or two a year. But if Vandy turns it around and, and you know, Kentucky picked up some great players in the transfer portal, they could be better next year. There's a chance Missouri doesn't win a conference game. Yeah. And I think uh, that's a that's a big fear for Missouri right now. So uh, I think this will be this these next two seasons for Missouri will be very interesting. I I I know they're not going to leave. I don't know. It does make me think, especially with these good teams coming into the SEC, if some of these smaller schools are going to want to leave, like Missouri, for example. Yeah, we we could see something like that. I don't. I don't know if they're going to want to. I think that the funding they get from TV deals and and things of that sort, I I don't think there's a a single team that's going to want to leave. Well, yeah, that's the issue with it is I wish people cared about the sports more than the money, and I understand money is very important. But I think, you know, if you cared about the – I mean, really if people cared about their sports – Oklahoma and Texas would not be coming in because they would still be able to make the playoffs every year, you know, just winning their little Big Ten or their little Big Twelve. But and like I think the same with Missouri. If Missouri uh, was smart, they never joined the SEC. But it's that once you come to the SEC, you get quadruple what you're making in whatever your other conference was. Yeah, it's just the funding, and that's that's what brings teams to the SEC, and so it's going to continue to change the scape of. Uh, college football, but um, just so we have enough time, I'm going to go ahead and give you mine. I think that this season, and I know we didn't talk about any of the MLB news that kind of pertains to mine, but I think the Braves are going to win 103 games this year. I hope they do. We haven't eclipsed 100 wins in years. We eclipsed it this year. We did? Yep. I no, no, believe like we regular... won 101. Yep. Oh, in the regular season. Oh, never mind. Sorry. It was the first time in a, in a while. But, yeah, I just think that, you know, you can say that we lost stuff. Yeah, we lost Freddie a year ago. Yeah, we lost Dansby this offseason. I still think that we're getting better. 
Yeah, I think the Braves are getting better, and that's because they have young talent. They have a lot of young younger guys, and I think that's I mean that's what you got to do is people uh, were like oh the Braves get have completely depleted their farm league. Yeah, because they're all playing for the Braves right now. Yeah, exactly. And what we didn't like what's the players that aren't playing for us now. We picked up players that are making an impact for us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's working out well and. Yeah, people are going to say there's a hole at the starting shortstop position, but Grissom has been working his ass off this offseason. Um, Snicker came out in the press conference uh, and said that he's not considering even giving Grissom a shot at playing left field. He wants him to be the shortstop, and the, the Braves and Ron Washington scheduled three infield sessions with Vaughn, each of those lasting around a week. Uh, two of them already happened in New Orleans. One's going to happen uh, down in Florida the week leading up to spring training or leading up to um, position players and pitchers and catchers reporting. So I, I think that, you know, with that kind of work, Vaughn is going to be in a great position with a big leg up on Orlando Arcia for the starting shortstop position. And I think that's just going to help us out even more. Yeah. I have to agree, and I think Vaughn is very is gonna be is gonna fit into our lineup pretty well as well. Uh, yeah, and even if he's bad, like he's gonna be batting pretty near the bottom, because you know, of course, you know Acuna and Albies and Riley Olson, even Sean Murphy and Michael Harris. Like, there's guys that are gonna have to get there at bats, but Vaughn Grissom is gonna be a solid guy down at the bottom of the lineup. That you know gets on base, you know creates runs. He's really good at it, and if his glove is, you know, even seventy five percent or eighty percent of what Dansby's was, I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, um, completely. Just got some news. Uh, Josh Happel just signed a contract through twenty twenty nine, where he'll be making nine million annually. Yeah, that just popped up on my computer when I refreshed my ESPN feed. So, yeah, that is awesome. Congratulations to Josh Heupel. And uh, like I said, I think I said it before, maybe on the podcast, maybe just to you, that in like 10 years, Josh Heupel will be the coach of Oklahoma. So this really lines up perfectly. Yeah. Whenever <laughs> I get off of that uh, Brent Venables uh, test, I think that's yeah. going to be interesting. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you today. We both got to get out of here pretty quickly. But uh, anything else you have for the people, Brock? Oh, not that I can think of. All right. Well, yeah, uh, apologies for you know the short episode, kind of steamrolling through everything. And um, we should be good for Thursday's or uh, Friday's episode, me and Luke. There should not be any time constraints. And we all know that. If we wanted to, me and Brock could go for three hours. But um, we're going to end it here, and I will catch you all on Friday. Peace. Peace.